Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Would you stand with us this morning as we pray? And let's ask God's blessings upon us here today. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together to study the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for this class. We thank you for each of these individuals here this morning who love your Word. We ask you to bless us, each and every one, Lord, for the study of it. We praise you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your friend next to you and shake their hand and greet them in the name of Jesus if there is somebody near you. Amen. And then you may be seated. God bless you. I uh, <clears throat> trust that you all have your Bibles, hope that you do. And uh, we are back into the book of Daniel today. Last week we took off, we, we, di we digressed for the uh, Easter, uh, Easter lesson that we had prepared. And uh, we're going back to the book of Daniel. And uh, I want to just say here that this week and next week, is going to be one of the most interesting portions of the Bible that you will ever study. And I'm going to take my time and I'm going to do it as simply and as easily as I can to help us to grasp and understand one of the greatest parts of the Bible that talks about prophecy. And this is why Daniel is such an important book in fact, people who just read through it, read it very briefly and quickly, they sometimes just pass on over it and go on their way and say, it's too complicated for me, I don't understand it. But over the years, many years of 60 years of studying the Bible, I have found this one of the most intriguing studies in the entire Bible. And I still feel that way, and I'm going to go into it here this morning and teach you on it because it has to do with you and I and it has to do with Israel and it has to do with the future of just about uh, time from the beginning, from not from the beginning of time, but from the, from the time that Jesus came until right on up, until yet to be fulfilled things that are yet to come to pass. Daniel was a very interesting uh, person and he was a very interesting, uh, his writings were very interesting because God revealed so much to this man. And I'm gonna show you some things here today. I wanna just go back and recap for a few moments some things that we've already talked about so that we can sort of tie up the loose ends here. But if you recall in uh, Daniel chapter five and uh, verse 28, uh, I'm gonna read this verse and a couple of verses here just to sort of bring us up to speed where, we, where we're looking at. Uh, this is Daniel's life and the last king of the Babylonians was a man by the name of Belshazzar. He was the grandson of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, he was, uh, this was like about 60 some odd years after uh, the Babylonians had conquered the then known world that is around the Middle East and so forth. And, uh, and he had become so arrogant and high minded, he had a big banquet, and you know the story, and I've taught this a couple of weeks ago, he had a big banquet and uh, they decided to drink out of the vessels of gold and silver that came out of the temple in Jerusalem that had been stolen from by Nebuchadnezzar and then when the temple was burned and, and sacked and so forth in 588 BC. So anyhow, they had brought the vessels there. So he got very arrogant. He said, we're gonna, all of, he had a thousand lords and all of his uh, wives and concubines and a big party going. 
And uh, he said, we're going to have a big celebration. Bring all those vessels in here. And he started drinking them out of wine. And while he was doing it, as you know, uh, there was a handwriting that appeared on the wall. And it wrote, Mina Mina Tikkuya Farsen. And uh, nobody knew what it meant. All the wise men of Babylon didn't know what it meant. The soothsayers didn't know what it meant. Nobody knew what it meant. Nobody could interpret what it meant. But the queen who remembered Daniel, I guess it was his grandmother, she said to him, there's a man by the name of Daniel. Uh, he's an oldster in the kingdom now, but he did some interpretation for your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar many, many years ago. And so he can tell you what it means. They brought Daniel in and Daniel said, yeah, I'll tell you what it means. And then he interpreted it for him. And he says, God has found uh, your kingdom wanting. And he interpreted each one of those words that are weighed in the balances and found wanting. And he says, finally, verse 28, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Well, this had already been, uh, this had already been in the, in the writings and already been prophesied by Daniel or showed to Daniel by the Lord in chapter seven and chapter eight, that the Medes and Persians would follow the Babylonians. And now what Daniel was saying, it's come, now it's here. Because of your arrogancy and your high-mindedness, God has taken the kingdom away from you and he's giving it to them. Now this is verse 28 and verse 30. I'm reading here from Daniel chapter five and down in verse 30, in that same night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Now this is uh, important what I'm showing you here. He was slain, the Babylonian empire was all over with, and it was taken over by the Medes and Persians. And then the next verse, verse 31, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. He was 62 years old when he took the throne. Darius was, he ruled for just one year, one year, and he died, Darius was. And so we talked to you about this and how that uh, God brought this all about and, uh, and, and so forth. So Darius, and while that, in that one year, while Darius was ruling, he promoted Daniel. He, he conquered all the Babylonian empire. He had all kinds of stories he had heard about Daniel. He took Daniel sort of under his wings. He liked Daniel, he promoted him. And, the, uh, and all of the other leaders that were under him were jealous of Daniel. Make a long story short, I told you about him being cast in the lion's den. And then of course, Darius did not want to do it, but he felt like he had to do it to maintain the dignity of the law of the Medes and Persians. And uh, when he finally realized that Daniel had survived, he brought Daniel out of the lion's den and he said, your God is the God, the chief God. Now these people believed in many gods, but they always believed that one God was above everybody else, all the other gods, he was the head God. And so it caused them to say Jehovah God or the God of the Jews is the God that's above all of the other gods. And so Daniel brought this into the heart and the mind of this Darius. And then following Darius, whenever he died at the end of that first year, there was a man by the name of Cyrus that took over. We talked about that. He was a Persian. They were media Persian together. And Darius was the media, was the, the, the Mede, and, and Cyrus was, was of a Persian descent. And he became king. And in uh, Cyrus's first year that he was king and so forth, he spoke and said for all of the Jews who want to go back to Israel, we talked to you about that a couple of weeks ago, 
how they could go back to Israel now and reestablish themselves and they could build the temple. Now we talked to you also how that uh, Cyrus, this king of the Persians now, Daniel's still living and he's still in this kingdom and he's still in great favor of these kings. Uh, Cyrus was prophesied 200 years before by the Lord in the 44th and 45th chapters of Isaiah that he would come. The Lord said, I will send Cyrus, my servant. He says, you don't even know me, but I'm calling you by your name. 200 years before he would even be born, he called him by name and says, you will send the people to Jerusalem to rebuild my temple. And so that's exactly what he did. And this is recorded in the book of Ezra. If I can just go there for just a minute in the book of Ezra where uh, it says here, I'm gonna read Ezra 1.1 very quickly. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also in writing. And then he said for them to go back and build the temple. And so they went back into the, to build the house of the temple, the second verse, verse, third verse to build the house of the temple, the fifth verse again to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Everything with Cyrus was to rebuild the temple. And he gave permission, 50,000 Jews went out of captivity at that time. I don't think they had stayed in captivity. Many of them now were free people. They had jobs and so forth. And they did not all go back. There were, many, there were many of them now that never went back to Jerusalem. They stayed in Babylon. Daniel was one of them. And uh, they went back in, in, uh, in, in 536 uh, BC. They all went back and they started working on the temple. It took them 21 uh, years to build the temple because of the opposition and all the friction. And we've talked to you already about that. We won't go any further about it. Now, what I want to do today is to go back to when Darius was still the king. Just go back one year. Forget Cyrus and the others, but let's back it up to when Darius was king and Daniel had been put in the lion's den and brought out and was in great favor. I want you to go to chapter 9 with me, Daniel 9. Daniel 9. And uh, I'm saying these things to try to keep it as uncomplicated as possible. And everything, and I want you to look at chapter nine with, with us for a moment here. In the first year of Darius, the son of, ah, of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. Now he's talking about this period of time, and this is in Darius's period of time. This is in 538, this is 538 BC. And in this period of time, Daniel apparently got to reading some books or came in access of some books. Maybe it was because when the media Persians came in, they allowed them to have more access to some of the writings and things of the prophets and so forth. And here's what Daniel said. And he says, uh, in that first year of his reign of Darius, verse 2, I, Daniel, understood by books. Now notice here, he's saying, I understood it because I read, I read about it. I found it in the, in, the, in the word of God. I understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem was destroyed 
and the, the people taken captive in 606 BC. And Daniel said, I understood by books that God had set a limit on that, that it was gonna be for a 70 year period. Now I'm gonna take a moment and show you where Daniel found this in the books and where he saw this and how this all came about. If you look in Jeremiah for a moment, uh, 25 and 11 and 12, 25, Jeremiah 25, 11, 12, I want to show you what Daniel came across here. And he found here in 2511, this whole land shall be a desolation. This is talking about Babylon now. Shall be a desolation and astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is all the land that's around, around that area. Verse 12 is the main one. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished, I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation, saith the Lord, the king, the king and the nation for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it perpetual desolations. In other words, this is only going to last 70 years, and then I'm going to bring judgment on the Babylonians. Now, this was also brought to more light in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Look at this. Verse 29 and 10. He says this, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years being a, be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Jeremiah's writing, Jeremiah lived in Palestine. So he says, you're gonna to return to this place after 70 years. These were prophecies by Jeremiah and Daniel got a hold of Jeremiah's writings found that in there and he understood that that period of time was going to end after 70 years. He figured it all up. We've been here since 606. This is five, this is like 530, uh, 538, 537, right along in about that time, BC I'm talking about. So 530, in other words, it's just about time for this to happen. And so Daniel assumed then that these things were very there, very real there. If I were to go to the book of Ezra, this is another place that this is recorded, how that the Lord did. I'll go and I'll mention that to you in a few moments here. But the Lord said, I'll do that for 70 years. Now, why, why did God say, I'm going to let, I'm going to bring them out of captivity after 70 years? What 70 years got to do with it? Let me show you something in the word of God here that the Lord, and God never forgets anything. God never forgets anything. I want you to look, if you would, for just a moment over in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25 and three. Now, is everybody still with me? All right, stay with me here. This is the time you put on your thinking bonnet. Stay with me on this, on, in, one of, in this lesson today for sure. Look at 25 and look at verse three. This is, a, uh, this is back under the law of Moses whenever Moses was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He says, six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. Everybody see that? You're gonna let the land rest. A Sabbath for the Lord, thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which soweth of its own accord of the harvest, thou shalt not reap it. In other words, let it grow dormant. Never gather the grapes of vine 
uh, of the vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And this was a commandment that God gave to Israel. When you go into the land and possess it, you farm it for six years, but the seventh year, you don't do anything to it. You let it set. I don't know how many of you folks remember this. Some of you, some of you that's maybe my age may remember some of it, but uh, when Eisenhower was president of the United States, he passed a law in the United States that farmers had to let their lands rest ever so often. How many of you remember that? You remember that? Some of you, I see a few hands back here. You're telling your age, you know, now. But he, he, he had them told the farmers, we are overworking the land. We don't give it a chance to, to, to rest. This is what God knew way back there. He said, if you let the land rest, he says, then I will bless it. And he says, I'll give you enough food and enough crops on the sixth year to take you through the seventh year. And then the land will rest and then the land will be more productive for the next seven years. And this was a commandment he gave to Israel. Uh, however, along the way, like a lot of things, they went ahead and worked the seventh year and nothing happened. Nothing happened. God didn't send lightning from heaven. He didn't send thunder and, and the crops grew and they prospered, it seemed. And, and so the next seventh year later, they did it all over again. And they started doing that. And, some, and one of them said, hey, I see Willie over here doing his field. And he gets away with it and seems like God doesn't care. Maybe God's forgotten about it. Maybe it doesn't apply to us, whatever. And so they quit following that law. And they rocked along with that for a long, long time. Now, this is what the Bible has to say here about, uh, about these 70 years here that the, the Lord, why did uh, God do this and so forth? So I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in the book of, uh, I'm going to give you the right verse here in just a moment. All right. Look in... Uh, I'm looking here in 2 Chronicles in one place and it talks about the temple being destroyed and it says in verse 21, this is the last chapter in the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36 and, uh, and verse 19 says, and they burnt the house of God and break down the walls of, the, of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces and this is when Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and then verse 21 and it says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land hath enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath, Sabbath to fulfill three score and 10 years. That's 70 years. Three, a score, is, as you know, is 20. Three score uh, is uh, 60. And then, uh, and then 10 years is, is another 10 years on top of that, 70 years. So three score and 10 is 70 years. So he was gonna, it's prophesied here, way over here in Chronicles, that this is what would be done. And of course, Daniel, uh, 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 Jeremiah had mentioned that and talked about it and so forth, and it was spoken of. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that these things were done so that the 70 years might, so when Daniel read in the scriptures where Jeremiah said, after 70 years, I am going to take you back. You know why that was? Because for 490 years, they never let the land rest. They never let it rest. And so because they didn't do it, finally the Lord said, I'm gonna let you go into captivity. Oh, by the way, and I'm gonna keep you there for 70 years 
to fulfill the word of God that I said that the land should rest, or the land rested for 70 years. Folks, God doesn't forget anything. Can I just say something here? You know, the Bible talks about the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's understanding that God will do everything he has said he would do. He will bless us, but he will also hold back his blessings if we do what he says we should not do. Are you with me? Now, the Lord has given us instruction in the Bible. Like, like for instance, I'm going to use this illustration. Paying of tithes. Tithes is 10% of your, of your income. You pay that to God. Give that to God, you know. And in this church, it goes for so many multiple reasons. As you know, we, one of the, we're one of the bigger churches in missions giving, in, in, actually in the nation. I think two years in a row, we were the sixth largest giving nation, church in the United Pentecostal Church in America. And so we still are, you know, Haiti and these orphanages and so forth. Your pastor is a strong believer in missions and so forth. So we give, but God gives back to us because he said, if you give and you do that, you pay your tithes, I will bless you. But at the same time, he said, if you don't do it, then I will hold back the blessings of God. Now, sometimes we go a long time and everything just rolls and nothing's happening. But then God can all of a sudden pull it away. He can take it away. I hope I'm getting through to somebody here. I'm just saying that things can stack up. If you do good, they stack up. The Lord said to Cornelius, your prayers have come up before me as a memorial. They've just, they, I mean, I can't, I can't get away. They're this, they're good things. He's prayed. You pray and pray and pray and pray. God doesn't lose those prayers. He knows all about them. And somewhere down the road, he says, I think it's time to answer prayers for, for Aunt Susie or Uncle Willie or whoever it might be that's been praying. At the same time, if we say, oh, I'm going to break the word of God, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to do this and do that and do that and do this and, this. and we go ahead and we just, we're careless with our Christian life and with our faithfulness unto God and all of these kind of things, nothing happens for a while. But then somewhere, it's all stacked up, it's all built up, and God will require it. And I'm going to leave it there for what it's worth. <laughs> I don't want to have to, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not speaking negatively here. I'm just saying that God is that way. So God said, okay, I'll let the land rest now for 70 years. And so they understood then that this land that they had would be resting then for uh, this long period of time. Praise the Lord. Look at Jeremiah 29, 10 for just a moment. Jeremiah 29, 10. He says here in verse 29, 10, for thus saith the Lord that after 70 years will accomplish at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Now we read that verse of scripture to you a while ago. <clears throat> now, when Daniel read these things, look at that ninth chapter of Daniel again now. I want you to hold your place there in Jeremiah 29. We'll come back to that for a moment, in a moment. And look over here in Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel uh, was, uh, had read these things about Jeremiah. And uh, he said here, I'm going to read 9-2 at the bottom part of it again. He said he read the word of, of the Lord in Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then in verse 3, everybody with me now? Stay with me. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications 
and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In other words, Daniel humbled himself to the max. And verse four says, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O God, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenants and the mercies to them that love him, to them that keep his commandments. And verse five says, we have sinned. And he starts with that. And from here on, from verse five to the end of this chapter, Daniel prays a prayer. He prays, he prays, that's at the end of the chapter, down to verse 19. He prays this prayer to God. And he says, God, and if you ever get a chance, I'm not going to read all this to you, but I want you to sometime to read Daniel's prayer. Because what Daniel came to the realization of is that whenever children of Israel were in captivity, and this is recorded also, and I won't read the scriptures on it, but over in the book of both Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it talks about Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. It talks about how that God would visit the children of Israel when they prayed, when they came to the realization that they needed to know God, and they needed to get back to God, and they realized what they had done and why they were in captivity, if they'd get down on their face before God and pray to Daniel came to that place and he said, oh my Lord, the Lord has said it's gonna be 70 years and that if we would pray and seek his face, God would restore Israel. And Daniel put on sackcloth and ashes. He humbled himself. He went on his face before God and he fasted and he prayed and he called on God and he said, God, we have sinned. And he talked about his own sins. He talked about the sins of the fathers. He talked about the sins of Israel. He talked about the sins that they'd committed this way, that way, the iniquities everything. You ought to read it sometime. The most humble thing and he exalts God in it all. God, it was not you. It was us. We're the ones that messed up. We're the ones that sinned. And he humbled himself and he did it because he knew. He knew that by doing that, God would fulfill his word because God had promised over in his word in Leviticus and in those other verses of scriptures that he would himself uh, forgive the people. Here's what he says here. Uh, that's the desolation part I won't. Anyhow, he said, if you will remember to pray and call on me. And he says, I, I've lost the place there of that. But anyhow, if you will pray and seek my face, he said, I will pour out these blessings on you and I will bring you back. And so Daniel knew that. So he began to pray and he began to call on God. And so verse five, right on down, he begins to pray. Now, while he's praying and humbling himself, and here he is praying, seeking God with all of his heart, look at verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God <clears throat> for the holy mountain of my God, yea, Verse 21, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning. And when he talks about the vision at the beginning, he's talking about the vision he had in chapter seven. This is chapter nine we're in. He had a vision in chapter seven. He had one in chapter eight. And now in chapter nine, Gabriel reappears to him. Gabriel is the messenger angel. Michael is the warrior angel. Michael is, leads, he fights the devil, he fights for you. 
so forth. I won't get into the detail on all of that. But Gabriel is a messenger angel. It was Gabriel that came to Daniel more than once and talked to him. And he would come to Daniel and say, Daniel, God's heard your prayers and so forth and so on. Uh, it's also Gabriel that went to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. Uh, also the one that appeared to uh, Zachariah said, you're going to have a son, but his name is going to be John the Baptist. And then he said to, to Mary, your son's going to be, and he's going, his name's going to be Jesus. You know, it was Gabriel. He's the messenger angel. So he came to uh, Daniel here and he began to talk to Daniel and began to tell him, look at verse 20. And while I was speaking, behold, the confession and verse 21, let me get to 21 here. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen at the vision in the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And then verse 22 says, and he informed me. And he went on to say, Daniel, God's heard your prayers. And he says something in the very end of verse 23, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, what Gabriel is going to do here is to tell Daniel that because of his prayers and his supplications, God's going to show him what's going to happen to Israel. Everybody with me now? All right. Praise God. He says here in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity and for an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now what he was actually saying here is that 70 weeks are determined from the time here uh, until right on to the end in which the Lord is going to anoint the most holy. The most holy would be the coming of the Messiah. God was, you know, he would be the one that would come. And so he says here, 70 weeks are determined. Now, let, before I go any further, let me just say this, and we know this more from hindsight than we know, from, than we know by foresight, but a week is not a week of days, but a week of years. So each week is a period of seven years. So he says here that 70 weeks, so you're talking about 490 years are involved here. So he says that God has determined 490 years upon the children of Israel, and then he's going to wrap this thing up. Now, let me just say one thing here. This was God's perfect will for Israel. God's perfect will for Israel. When Jesus came as their Messiah, it was God's perfect will for the Jews to all say, Hosanna to God in the highest. Our Messiah has come. Our King has come. He has come to redeem us. And if they had done that, then there would have been the, there would have been the reconciliation of Israel back to God. And that would have been ushered in the, what's called the millennial period or the thousand years of peace on the face of the earth. That's what was God's perfect will but they had to accept Jesus when he would come. So Jesus would come in 490 years. This is all brought out here in a few moments, the next verse or two. And Jesus would come, and then this is what God perfectly wanted them to do. This was determined. And if they would do that and accept him, this would happen. So it would say that this would be the wrap up. So here's what it says in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the, going, from the going forth of the commandment to restore 
and to build Jerusalem. Now notice that phrase. This is a very uh, intricate part because when did the commandment go forth that Jerusalem should be built? We can say, well, it went forth when Cyrus commanded them. All right, all the Jews go back. 50,000 went back with Zerubbabel and Joshua was the high priest. Go back to Jerusalem now. But they went back only for one purpose, to rebuild the temple. And everything in the scriptures to do with that is, was all to rebuild the temple. And besides, when you, when you date it from 536 B.C. to, the, to Christ, it doesn't line up. So there were two other times that, that the Jews went back in great numbers back to Israel. One was the book of Ezra in the very beginning of Ezra, Ezra chapter one. It talks about them going back then, the Lord sent them back. Uh, Ezra went in the, in the, uh, the uh, third year of King uh, Ahasuerus, uh, King uh, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, is a hazardous. Uh, that's getting confusing now. But he was the one that was married to Esther. Remember Esther in the Bible? All right, he was, a, he was a Persian king that had taken Esther for his wife, and Esther then was a Jewish girl, and she had married a hazardous, is what it's called in Esther, but Artaxerxes is what it's called in the book of Ezra. Now, I say that because in history it says a hazardous. Erxes and Artaxerxes were all the same person. I leave it there. You can figure it all out. But whatever it is, there's many that believe that this king who told Ezra and his people they could go back was actually the king who had married Esther. Therefore, he had the influence of Esther and the influence of this Jewish queen that sat next to him on the throne. And therefore, he was very kind to those Jews. This was in the uh, this was in the third year, third year, maybe it was third year, of, uh, of this Ahasuerus, uh, or Artaxerxes. Let's call him Artaxerxes. That's what Ezra calls him everything. And so he, he did that. This was in that reign of, and this is all recorded in the first, uh, in the first chapters, verses here. That's in the seventh chapter of Ezra. The first six chapters of Ezra, I know this is so confusing. The first six chapters is the return of Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. But in the seventh chapter, it is Ezra himself that goes back. And he goes back with Artaxerxes saying, you have my permission, I send you back, and I could take time here, and I know my time is limited, but I could send you back, and you could go back and, uh, and, re and rebuild and rebuild the walls, the temple, uh, the, the city, do whatever you have to do, and take the people with you. There was another time after that, 12 years later, that Artaxerxes sent his cupbearer. His cupbearer was also a Jewish fellow. His name, his name was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was the one who tasted of everything that the king ate or drank. He was called the cupbearer. Before the king ever tasted it or ever ate it, the cupbearer tasted it for him because if it was poison, he would die. Everybody get the picture? That's what those kings did. They all had a cupbearer, and so he would bear the cup. He'd pour this, pour they'd bring the food out, the drinks, he'd all pour it, and he'd sample everything on there, and then he'd give it to the king, and so forth. And he was, this was uh, Nehemiah. And because of his position with the king, and this king was a powerful king, this, uh, this uh, 
the Artaxerxes was a very powerful, 127 provinces. He ruled from Egypt to India over that whole area, very powerful man. And he had a cupbearer who was a Jewish fellow and he had a queen who was a Jew. And these people influenced him toward the good to Israel. And I think this is why that this man was, was so good that he was. And whenever he would send, when he sent, uh, for instance, Ezra, when he sent Ezra, he said, Ezra, now you go back to Israel and everything. He gave him money, gave him gold, gave him silver, and gave him writing. He said, this is what the king says. Everybody over there, now line up and do what he says and so forth. And so this was, so, and it was during his reign in, in the seventh chapter and the first verse of Ezra, where Ezra went back, this is where it's numbered from, numbered from, from. So from the time that the commandment was given and whenever you line it up and you take in consideration that Jesus was born four BC, not zero, but four BC, this is also a fact. Then it lines up perfectly with the time that the Lord would come. Now, hang on to your hats. I've all got here about just about five, six minutes. I'm going to wrap up this portion of it here. Look with us here in this 25th chapter with us. Everybody still with me? Because this Gabriel tells Daniel a lot of things here in just a few minutes. And I've given you a lot of this information so that you'll have some kind of a foundation for it. Know therefore and understand. I'm reading verse 25 now. Know therefore to understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. <clears throat> okay, so this is going clear up to Jesus' time. Not to his birth, but to his presentation to Israel as the Messiah. In other words, whenever he'd be announced as like John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And this calculation is not to his birth, but it's to his coming as the Messiah when he would walk out and begin to manifest himself as God manifest in flesh as the Messiah. Unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, excuse me, <coughs> seven weeks and three score in two weeks. Now notice the weeks involved here, you see this? Now it doesn't say years, but it says weeks. Now remember one week is seven years. So you have these weeks involved here. This, so from the time the commandment is given, that is when Ezra would go back until the Messiah would come forth as the Messiah would be three score, would be seven weeks and three score in two weeks. One week is seven years, seven weeks is 49 years. Seven times seven is 49. And with 62 weeks equals to be 434 years. So when you put together the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, you have 69 weeks. And remember, 70 weeks are determined upon your people. Remember that, verse 24? But now you're only dealing with 69 weeks. Okay, there should be 69 weeks. Therefore, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks equals 483 years. So everything is figured from the time the commandment was given for 483 years, that's when Jesus would come forth as the Messiah. And that's exactly, the timing is perfectly. You're within months, you're within months of that time frame. I talked to a guy one time that was, uh, when I was a student, and I was studying all of this, and I, and I was in Minnesota, and I never will forget, I was, we worked as a janitor in a, in a, in a, a big department store. Uh, this guy was working there, and he was a, uh, 
a student at, uh, at uh, Minnesota University, and he said, oh, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in God. I said, all you have to, I said, listen, all you got to do is understand a little bit about Daniel, you'd believe in God. He said, what about Daniel? I said, what the things about Daniel, how he prophesied the coming of the Messiah. And I started whipping this stuff off because I'd been studying it, you know. And I started whipping this stuff off. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, you ought to study some of it. Man, I just laid it on him. I just said, if you understood a little bit about Daniel, you'd understand that God's in control of everything. And there's a God and he knew what was coming to pass. And he still knows what's going to come to pass, you know, and so forth. Praise the Lord. And that's all true. It's all true. And he goes on to say here, now look at this, the end of this 25th verse. It says that he, the, to the building of the temple, the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. And then it adds this, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, you talk about trouble. They built the wall and they had to, they had to hold a sword and a shield in one hand and they had to use mortar and brick and stone with the other hand. And those Jews worked day and night. They worked from sun, from as soon as they had daylight until it was moon, the moon was shining or the stars. And, and he says that in, the, in Nehemiah, he says it until the stars were out. They were working, building those walls and it says because the people had a mind to work. And they built those walls under Nehemiah. And Nehemiah being having been the king's cupbearer and sent by the king over there, he had all kinds of clout. I mean, they said, hey, this guy knows the king. This is the guy that, you know, tasted his food, whatever you say. And he was the governor of Israel. And I mean, he, he got them going and he got it happening because Ezra at this point tried to get it going and it wasn't happening. And he was putting the, the spiritual things in order. And while Nehemiah was there, Ezra was there at the same time. They were only 12, 12 years apart, each one going there and everything. They worked together and, uh, and he was there for, for, I don't know, for several years, a long time. I mean, I think it was about 18 years that, that Nehemiah was there working with these Jews, trying to get all this done. And this is all prophesied here in Daniel. This will all happen. Now, follow me a little bit more. And I know my time, I got three minutes. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to tell you what it means. Verse 26. And after three score and two weeks, that's those, uh, that's those 400, the 483 years we're talking about, shall Messiah be cut off. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, it's in the word. Shall Messiah be cut off. This is saying that the Messiah will be killed. Isn't that right? And so the Jews scratched their head. Wait a minute, our Messiah is coming. Our God is coming manifest in flesh. You know, it, you know unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name should be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And he's going to be cut off? That means killed. And then when you go to Isaiah 53, you read there where he is killed. And then it goes on to say here in verse 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So Messiah appears... And in, in, uh, in, in when he begins his ministry and he preaches for three and a half years and then he's crucified. He never completes and never finishes that next seven years. You see how close Israel was to receiving all that God had for them. And they rejected Christ and lost it all for a season that you and I who are Gentiles might be part of the same inheritance. God's grace is unto us. Folks, God's grace is on America. I just feel anointed to say that. 
God's grace is on America. In, in my studies yesterday, I prayed for our nation. I did. I said, God, help, help America. You have been so good to America. I know that many of you maybe are from other countries and, and you found the Lord and so forth. But God has been so good to this country. He's been so good to so many countries. So many of us. He's so, so good to us. His grace is there. We don't owe it to ourselves. We owe it to God. Always to God. That's why prayer is always in order. And that's why worship is always in order. Don't come to the house of God and just say, I'm going to come to the house of God and I'm just going to be a bump on a log. Say, I'm going to go to the house of God to worship because I owe him praise. You owe him your breath. You owe him your heartbeat. You owe him your life. We owe him our existence. The fact that we even exist. We owe it to God. Praise the Lord. He is due and worthy of everything. I'm going to finish reading this, and then we're not going to have time to get into it, but I'm going to get into it next week. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's because he will die for the sins of the people. This is Isaiah 53, very extensively talks about it. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's the Romans who comes with Titus. Vespasian was Titus' father, and he had been fighting and fighting and warring and on his way down through Palestine headed for Israel to put down the rebellion of the Jews. And Vespasian was suddenly called back to Rome to be made the emperor. And he told his son Titus, you take over and finish the war with the Jews. And Titus took over and finished it. It doesn't say here the king, it says the prince. Notice the prophecy was already is so exact that, they, that God knew it would not be Vespasian that would conquer Israel. It would, be, it would be Titus. And he goes on to say, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people, not the prince, the people. And when you read Josephus, who was the historian at that time, he says that Titus commanded his soldiers, don't destroy this temple. And he says, this is Josephus writing, he says they were as though they never heard him. He yelled and he called his generals to his side, tell these soldiers not to destroy this temple. And yet Jesus had prophesied in Luke 21 that there should not be one stone left upon another. This, this temple should be destroyed. Not one stone should be left upon another. And here this, so these soldiers went in and they started ripping down everything, tearing down everything, tearing, bashing up everything, burning everything. And, and, and the emperor, the prince, literally stood there and ordered them not to do it. And it was though they did not hear him. And the only reason he did not, he did not you know, whatever they do to him, execute him that did it, was because they all did it. He couldn't destroy his whole army. And they, they just completely destroyed. And that's what happened in 70 AD. So what is, what's happening here is that this man Gabriel is revealing to Daniel is that the temple that's going to be built or has been built by Zerubbabel will eventually be destroyed. And whenever the prince of the people should come and even gave him a time frame of when it would happen. And he goes on to say, the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And exactly, that's exactly what would happen. And then there's, verse, there's chapter 27 that is yet to be looked at. Folks, we got a lot to look at here. We're going to go into the book of Revelation with this starting next week. I want you to know it's a wonderful thing to serve God. God knows everything from the beginning to the end. 
and he's in charge of everything. And we'll always say, God, your hand, your hand is upon your people. We thank you for it and we love you for it and we praise you for it. Let's stand together and worship God and let's thank him right now. Would you just worship the Lord with us, Jesus? We love you so much today, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for salvation. Bless the word of God to our hearts and souls. Bless this congregation today. Bless our morning service, God, as we worship you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Remain standing if you will.